0: Well, in my, in my three decades or so of uh, being a pastor, I have seen a lot of people come and go. I see people come, of course, uh, for the best of reasons. They find Jesus, and they're baptized, and they want to be united to a church, and so they come. we have also had people come because their church didn't sing the right songs or preach from the right version of the Bible or their pastor wasn't very friendly. When that happens that's when I know I'm in trouble. But the reality is people come for sometimes the right reasons sometimes not so much. We've had people leave the church for all kinds of reasons too. Sometimes they get bored, sometimes There are political reasons. I probably need to admit that uh, I perceive all of these reasons to be personal reasons and can't help it sometimes but take it personally when maybe they mean it that way and maybe they don't. But as I think about all of that, I think everybody's after the same thing, basically. Everyone wants the perfect church. Wouldn't it be great to find that perfect church? Well, what what do we mean by that, actually? I mean, a perfect anything, I'd take a perfect anything, but a perfect church, that might even be better, right? What do we mean, though, when we're thinking about a perfect church, if we could just find a church where everyone looked at the world the same way, where everyone was on the same page, that might be a perfect church, where everyone was, well, like me, it'd be a perfect church. Except that it wouldn't be, would it? In fact, that would be the very problem. Would be that they would be like me. But that's sort of what we default to. That's sort of what we're looking for. when When we're thinking, oh, if only it could be better than it is. What I mean is if it could only be more to my liking. And we think it should just happen that way. That the church should just somehow, you know, there's maybe some glitter floods down. I don't know. But somehow it gets perfect. We don't know how it gets perfect, right? Just naturally should be that way. And if it isn't that way, well, something's wrong with the church. And so the search for the right church or the perfect church continues. But think about that. How would you get a perfect church? Where would it come from? Well, that happens to be the question that I want you to think about this morning. Because I think in Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bible, i invite you to turn there to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, we're introduced to the prospect of what it might be if the church was really united, if the church was really uh, on uh, the same page, if the church really was um, humble. And so Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, So what I want to to uncover here for you, or what I want to show you here, is that the gospel produces humility. That believing in Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, believing in Jesus Christ transforms you into a more humble person. It transforms us into a more humble person group of people because humility doesn't magically appear humility is produced by union with the risen Jesus and comes by faith in the gospel so let me just show you that in verse 1 this is where humility comes from you say well where where does humility come from verse 1 is your answer so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So there is a list, you might say, of uh, characteristics that form the soil from which humility grows. It's the soil in which uh, People who plant their roots there, they grow into humble people. When there's a group of them, they grow into a grove, you might say, of uh, humble um, people or a church. First of all, if there is any encouragement in Christ. I hope that you actually experienced some of that encouragement in Christ as we sang those songs a few moments ago. When we talked about the exaltation of Jesus, we talked about what, he had, what it meant to him to come be born in a humble stable and to die on a cross. And you realize that he did that for you. I hope there's some encouragement there and I hope you experience that. I hope hope you didn't just sing those with dry eyes and a hard heart. But when you think about even the songs that we've sung already, this uh, encouragement that comes from Christ, does it cause you to think more highly of yourself? When you think about all that Jesus has done for you, does it cause you to be more proud? To feel better? Like, I'm all of that? Or does thinking about Jesus and his suffering and His shame and all that He went through for you, does it cause you to think of yourself less? Or thinking of the encouragement in Christ is, is your heart safer in the hands? that have nail scars in them? Or is it safer if you take care of yourself? Do you need to defend yourself? Or can you trust in Jesus to defend you? If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any, second of all, comfort in love, notice the, the softness here. Any comfort in love. There's such a lack of an edge. I mean, how how many of us have just a little edge about us or maybe not all the time, but some of the time. The reality is, according to the, the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, is that you are loved. You're loved. You don't earn it. You don't get more of it for good behavior. You're just loved. And your hurts are cared for by Jesus, who, like you, suffered. In fact, if you were to look in other places of Scripture, it is His very stripes, His sufferings, that is the means for your healing. And so it's, I would love to do the whole message on the comfort that comes from being loved by Christ. It's staggering to know what Jesus did to show you love so that he might comfort you. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, and there is, if there's any comfort from being loved by Christ, and there is, if there's any participation in the Spirit. Any participation in the Spirit. This is a little bit weird to say participation in Spirit. But the idea is that this is the thing from which all these others derive. It is the Holy Spirit that causes you to to participate in all that Jesus has accomplished. It is the Spirit that gives you fellowship. That's literally the word here, the fellowship of the Spirit. Um, And it's it's the the Holy Spirit that places you into Christ so that the uh, value of his death, burial, and resurrection counts for you. So that the love that God meant when he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, when when God intended to love you in Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that causes you to participate in that love. You can think about this participation a little bit. It's an imperfect illustration, but you can think of it as though you're sitting in a car. When you are in a car you are um, participating in what that car does, right? If that car gets in an accident, well, you're in an accident. If that car is going 60 miles an hour, you're going 60 miles an hour. And you are united to that car in a way that you benefit from whatever happens in that car. Apart from your effort, apart from what you bring to it, you're just along for the ride. And that, in some respect, is the way that uh, being united with Christ does. It's, you don't get united because of your effort. You're along for the ride. And all that Jesus does then counts for you. There is participation uh, in the Spirit. The, the, the Spirit enables you to be united with Jesus. And then if there's any affection in sympathy. See, you don't need, you don't need to defend yourself. You don't need to stand up for yourself or to put on a, a rigid defense. Because there is affection for you in sympathy from God the Father that it's poured out to you, that God loves you. And and you, (laughs) you can't overstate it. You could talk about it all day and you would underestimate the love and affection that God has for you. And what that means is that you can just let go of those defenses. You can let go of that uh, self-protective things that you do because you are on the receiving end of such affection by Jesus and such sympathy that you can afford then to be humble. So if you think about those four characteristics or so, you think about What makes someone actually self-serving? What makes them proud? What makes them selfish? Generally, it's the fear of not being loved. No one else is going to look out for me. Or being unappreciated. No one else is going to think of me. Or being discouraged. No one else is going to help me. No one else is going to comfort me. And what you have in verse 1 is God pouring in everything because of the gospel into your life that you need to do what's next, right? What's in verse 2 and 3 and 4. And so if that's where humility comes from, verse 2 through 4 is what humility does. This is what humility acts like. Complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only in his own interests, but also on the interests of others. And so there is this sameness, of mind, this what what humility looks like is that you're able to agree with other people, to think the same way as other people. That's what the first and the last sort of phrases in this uh, in verse two have to do with. Um, being of the same mind and then being of one mind. There is a way of thinking that is shaped by Christ that enables you to experience a common way of thinking and is a humble way of living. When you think about it, and I even started with this, this this same mind or this being of one mind, that's what people are hoping for when they're searching for comrades, when they're searching for people who agree with them politically or some other way. They're looking for those people who have the same ideas. Well, here he does say, that's, that's the beauty of the perfect church. They all do have the same mind and the same ideas. But it isn't that they're on one side of the spectrum or the other. It is defined in verse 5. If you look at verse 5, what does it say? It says, they have the mind of Christ. So it isn't that they agree with me, it's that they agree with Jesus. And better than that, it's that somehow God's worked in me so that I agree with Jesus. And when we both agree with Jesus, well, then we can be of the same mind. And that is very different than trying to just find a whole group of people that uh, believe like me or vote like me or think like me. There's a common way of thinking that is... uh, evident of humility. There's a common way of relating that is also uh, evidence of um, humility. Notice that it says that there is the same love. There is this commonality of love that finds its source in what God has done for you in Christ. And so there's the same way of thinking, there's the same way of Relating, no. then there is the same way of feeling to be of one accord. Notice all of these how there there's the same and similar and of one. There 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 is a real unity built into this humility. To be of full uh, of, of full accord or one accord literally means to be together in soul. To be together in soul. Wouldn't you like to have people alongside of you who are together with you in soul? That is the safest place in the world to be. And that's, that's what humility looks like. That's what humility or unity born of humility feels like. And then he, then he gives us some action items. Tell us well, what tell me what does this humility actually do? There's a negative and then there's a positive. Um, Do nothing out of uh, selfishness or empty conceit. There is this sense in verse 5 of I'm not going to be motivated by my own thing. Literally rivalry or self-interest. One of the ways might be to say I'm not going to think of the world as a zero-sum uh, game anymore. Whereas if you are loved, then I am loved less. If you are included, then I am excluded. If you are successful, then I'm less successful. And that's the way we look at the world a lot. And what the gospel enables us to do is that we don't have to have a zero-sum balance to everything. If you are, if you are successful... I am thrilled. If you are healthy, it doesn't matter if I'm sick. I'm happy you're healthy. And we could go on and on because there's no rivalry. There's nothing that says, if you have it, I, I can't have it. And so there is this, uh, it happens with no rivalry or empty conceit, literally, vain glory. This glory that you get, I mean, it's empty. It's ultimately empty. It will in you will end up with nothing. I'm going to promise you that. You can be excited about what you've got, but ultimately, it will all, you'll have to leave it all behind. And so, that's the way that, uh, Humility acts, it doesn't, it, doesn't take, it doesn't account in that way that those empty things matter or that there's a zero-sum game for you and for me. It's just not going to act that way. And then positively, it acts in humility of mind. There is a humility, and there's our, there's our word, this invitation to be like Jesus. And notice that it starts, this is a literal translation, the humility of mind, it starts in the way that you think about the world. And all of us, like it or not, think about the world first of all. We're kind of born this way, thinking of it with, a self, with self-interest in mind. And there is this transformation of your mind that takes place where you then have a humble mind. In humility of mind, consider others more important than yourself. I love this, this phrase. In fact, it, it helps me a lot because the, the word consider is not just the word for think or for understand or for know. This word consider is, is a much more active word. It's, uh, it literally could be translated lead. So you are responsible to lead your thoughts. It's, it's used of the star that led the wise men to Bethlehem. It's the same exact Greek word here. And so now you're, he says, lead your way of thinking into this esteem for other people. Lead yourself to think that what is important to them is more important than what is uh, important to you. Look uh, on the interests of others, not necessarily on your own interests. And so how, how... How hard is that, right? All of us want our own interests to be taken care of. And what he's saying is the gospel, this encouragement from Christ, this participation in the Spirit, this comfort and love, this affection, this sympathy, all of this rolls up so that you can be free from your self-interest and with a humble mind look out for other people's interests. And now you're beginning to see how great that would be. See, I can look out for my own interest in how and many, how many people are looking out for my interest? One, okay? You all can look out for my interests, And then how many people are looking out for my interests? My interest is in pretty good shape. And if you multiply that all the way around, that's amazing. That's what he's talking about here. That is the way that humility acts. I would love to say that we've got it all figured out here. The church has never had it figured out on this. This has been the perennial struggle of human existence, even Christian existence, really. I mean, if the church at Philippi had it all together, this wouldn't be in your Bible. The church had a problem, problem probably looked a lot like ours. So he wrote this. In the the 400s, John Chrysostom was a pastor who said, there is nothing so foreign to a Christian as arrogance. Yeah, they had a problem with it back then too. And you see it all throughout the history of humankind and the church. And so, may God help us act in such a way that our humility comes out, right? That we are looking out for the interests of others because we have a humble mind. Well, that's what humility does. It comes from this union with Christ in the gospel. It, it, it acts in a way that has other people's interests and place or above our own. But let me make sure that you know what it looks like so that when you see it, you love it. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that's above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So all that he just talked about there in verses two through four about the way the humility acts can be summarized. Have this mind among yourselves which was yours in Christ you get it by looking at Christ Jesus. The participation of the Holy Spirit changes you as you look at Christ Jesus. And this is what he looks like. He was in the form of God. He didn't count equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. But, the, but literally then it says he, he emptied himself. And So there's quite a bit of the, theology that comes out of this text that uh, we could talk about, but I don't want to talk about that because that's not why it's here. It's here to, to make sure that you understand what we're talking about when we're talking about humility. That Jesus had it, literally, all going for him. Right? He was a pre-existent son of God. He had everything. All knowledge. All power. All authority. All holiness. All mercy. Everything that you could possibly hope for, Jesus had. And he decided that was not something he'd hold on to or grasp. But rather, says he made himself nothing or he emptied himself. He let go of all of that. He let go of the privileges. He let go of the prerogatives of the power. He surrendered so that you and I might be included in the gospel. He's a perfect example of humility. That's why this beautiful description of Jesus is here, so that we know exactly what humility looks like. Surrendering your rights and your prerogatives for the good of other people. That's what it looks like. Now, how many conversations have you had in this last year about rights? About the infringement of our rights? Probably one or two anyway, right? What we see when we see Jesus is somebody who gladly surrendered his rights so that you and I might be included in all the blessing of God. That's the good news. The gospel is not, I just want to make sure that we're clear on this. The gospel is not simply that Jesus is a good example, so act like Jesus. Come on, you people. Get with it. Be more like Jesus. That's not, that's not the good news. The good news is that there is in Christ. He's given up all of his rights so that you might have some. He's given up all of his life so that you might have life. There's a lot of encouragement in Christ. There's comfort in being loved, in receiving affection and sympathy from God. Oh, the fact that you get to participate in the life of Jesus because of the Spirit. There's so much there. That's the good news. What he, ha, the reason that Jesus is described here is not so that you people will be like Jesus. The reason Jesus is described here is so you know what it looks like. You'll know when you look in the mirror, how's that fit? Am I like Jesus there? Because you get this clear picture of what, what humility actually looks like. And the beauty of this is that what is happening in the participation of the Spirit in in the, the gospel is that you are being included in this glorious story of Jesus that ends not merely in the cross, but also in the glorification of Christ at the right hand of God. It's not so much that you need to do this so that it pays off, but you get to participate in the humiliation of Jesus. So that your participation in the humility of Jesus tags you along like riding in that car all the way to glory. That's the message here in Philippians chapter 2. The descent and humility of Jesus is really the drama of the ages. And you get to be part of it. That's what we mean when we talk about the good news. As you participate with the Holy Spirit it conforms you to the image of Jesus and it looks like Jesus when he's done. And so the Holy Spirit produces that in you rather than you working harder to make it happen. Now I think that the Holy Spirit is interested in your humility. I'm sorry to say. Because Humility only happens when you need it to happen. If you're around other people who have different needs than you do, different schedules than you do, who think differently than you do, now, then, the Holy Spirit has something to work with to make you humble. But if you don't have anybody that's different in your life, you don't have anything in your life that makes you surrender your rights or give up your preferences... You'll never become humble. Why would you bother? The odd thing is that that what Jesus is doing in the church is he's placing people together who aren't the same. And when they're not the same, they have to come to grips with that. And let the mind of Christ rule instead of their own mind. Let the affections of Christ rule instead of their own affections. And I'm just going to say, this has been an awful message to prepare for and to bring. Because apparently God cares about this in me as well. I would have told you, yes, I want to be humble. I recognize the beauty of humility. And I would probably have also told you that I thought I was doing pretty well. But then, um, nine weeks ago this morning, on my way to church, my shoe slid down the step and my knee exploded. And my, I canceled everything else for a couple more months and found that it's humbling to be instantly weak. It's humbling to be slow. It's humbling to be dependent upon other people. It's humbling to be treated so kindly by my life group. It's humbling to think that I needed another physical problem so that God could work on my humility. And now it's humbling to be feeling better and consequently to be in a better mood And then to realize that I'm still dependent on my circumstances for my attitude. In other words, maybe I haven't completely learned that humility lesson that God was after in the beginning. And truth be told, I had a lot more resident, I probably still do, I'm sure I still do, more resident in subterranean pride than I had thought. My guess is that you do too. The only way that I'm going to be humble really has nothing to do with being hurt. It has to do with allowing the Holy Spirit to work in me the mind of Christ. To do in me what this text says. So that I too, like Jesus, empty myself of my rights and privileges and prerogatives Now just, again, I I wanted to hold up this picture of Jesus so you see it and you know it. But let me also tell you another way that you can tell if this is happening in your heart. If you look down at uh, verse 14, it'll help you. Because I can do the humble thing. I can still act humbly and resent it. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. There you go. If you are grumbling, you might be doing the right thing with the wrong attitude. The barometer of your humility is how happily you take the low position. It's how Quick, you are and how satisfied you are to not have your own needs met but let me tell you wouldn't that be beautiful if everybody was like that everyone went to serve everyone went to give up their rights everyone uh, thought of other people before themselves everyone was in on that same thing That would be the perfect church. That's what we're after, right? It's what we hope to build. Well, let me tell you, it would also be the greatest witness to the reality of the risen Christ that there is in the world. Look at what the next verses say there in verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world. See, we're not the only ones that want this. Everybody wants this. Everybody's after a a situation that's safe where people are looking out for their interests, where people are esteeming other people higher than themselves. Yes, I want the perfect church. Yes, I want a perfect church built with humble people who set aside their rights and privileges for the sake of of everyone else. What I really hope for is a church full of people who have the mind of Jesus, who have the affection of Jesus, who have, you might say, the soul of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus living in them, and they go for it. They set aside their own rights. They set aside their own needs and prerogatives. And they love other people. A church full of people who think like Jesus would be amazing. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I do know that I need more of Jesus in my life less pretending, less posturing. Father, would you grant grace to me, grant grace to all of us to set aside our rights so that we might become more like Jesus. Father, would you give us people in our lives that make it hard, that cause us to think like Jesus thinks rather than how we want to think. Make our hearts humble, I pray, in the name of Jesus.